and welcome to Connectivity 190. I am your, one of your hosts today, Nicholas Bray, and today I'm joined once again by Perry Burkham. Yes, hello. Yes, we're going to be doing a second episode of Themesters, and today uh, we are also joined by Dr. Jonathan Metz of, you know, Radio Free Nintendo, past Radio Free Nintendo host. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, Johnny. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the music of Super Mario Land 2 today. So Perry, uh, how did you want to start us off this this episode? Well, um, I guess we can talk just a bit about what that game is. Um, it's mm. it's from the Game Boy, which is an old, long-lasting system. Um, uh, it was uh, 1992. Um, uh, interestingly enough... It was like in between two big games, uh, like of the big Mario platformers. Um, it was three years after Super Mario Land and three years before Yoshi's Island. Um, so, and then two years after World. So it's like it's weird mm. to think that there was like five years in there where there was no big console platformer. But it's a really weird game. Wait, um, there was there was World. Yeah, yeah, two two years after Super Mario. Oh, World. you mean between World and sixty four? Between World and Yoshi's Island. Mm, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a long wait between those games, and uh, so yeah, what we're gonna do is we're gonna listen to the main theme of the game. Uh, it's called Choose Your Pipe, and we're gonna listen to that right now. So go ahead and have a nice listen. So that song was called Choose Your Pipe. Um, it's basically the first song you hear when you play the game. It's like when you pick your file. And um, that it's basic. I picked it because it's basically the bare minimum. It just has the theme melody with a very simple rhythm behind it. Um, and basically to show you uh, how that melody is used throughout the rest of the game um, in many different ways. It's... Uh, to me, when I think of a theme, this game comes to mind because of how many ways they use it uh, throughout the game. And that's a, like a Mario thing as well. In other Mario games, they generally have like a, a running thread of a melody that they reuse over and over again as well. So, Yeah, the yeah. new Super Mario Brothers games are really big on that. Mm. Totally, yeah. Which has become a problem for that, for that sort of sub-series because sometimes people find that they don't really like the uh, the main theme 
and then you end up hearing it in pretty much every stage, some version. <laughs> so <laughs> that can sort of poison the whole soundtrack for you mm. if you're not into it. Yeah, I don't understand how how they can do that, how they can have the same music for every game. Um, it's, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of a fan of New Super Mario Bros. Though I think I, I mean the the theme and the melodies and stuff. It's kind of fun. I like dancing yeah, I, Koopas. I, I think it's okay. I think some of the like weird synthy voices and stuff are um, cheap sounding, I guess I would say. Right. Um, they don't seem to put the kind of production into that um, those soundtracks as they do for the 3D games. Hmm. But, um, but you know, I mean, back to Super Mario Land 2, like this is a really nice kind of very simple um, melody. You can, you can imagine this going in a lot of different places. I really like the... The drums here it sounds like uh yeah, like jazz yeah. drumming with a brush mm. i was about to say that that was that's probably one of my favorite bits of the song that little simple uh rhythm yeah. going it's almost kind of suspenseful you know like mm. it makes you want to know what's going to happen next it just kind of it builds up just a little bit of tension even though it's not you know it's not hard hitting or anything which but you just feel like something's about to happen when you hear which that which makes brush sense drum. uh considering you're about to pick your file to start the game you'd want mm-hmm. that sort of that that little bit of tension to say, oh, get into the game, sort of thing, like click yeah. A to go. <laughs> Choose yep. your pipe now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, well, we just happened, I guess we can let the listeners know now, we actually all flew uh, to uh, Sarasaland um, this last week, and we went and saw a jazz show at a club. Um, I forgot the name of the of the club but that's not important uh and i was the i think it was the super ball lounge right right super ball we were all pretty drunk yes very very uh what's that word i heard it the other day i thought it was so funny we were smoking Uh, those jazz cigarettes soaked (laughs) soaked and um so I took my. You're not supposed to to record the music because they're a pretty big band. But I took my iPhone in there and and I recorded, you know, on the little little uh, memo or whatever application. And I I took a few bootlegs from it that we're gonna listen to. Uh, and they actually played "Choose Your Pipe," which is insane. Um, so uh, we're gonna listen to it right now, and you can hear the fun melody played in a live performance.
That was me on the woo at the end. Yeah. I can't help myself. <laughs> I tend to hear that same woo, like a, almost exact same, at the end of each one of these songs. Yeah, um, I'm very consistent. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was their song. It's a little pretentious. You know, they're kind of cocky. I, but I studied woo at Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows. It shows. Yeah. I'm like uh-huh. a human metronome of woo. Have you seen uh, Mighty Ducks 2? T2? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's a part, there's a guy in there named Kenny Wu. Ah. And he goes, Woo, 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 Kenny Wu. That's you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yep. I hope so. Johnny Wu. Johnny Wu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that song, it I think it featured, I think on the stage they had that time a drummer, a bass, and two guitars two electrics yeah like a, there's that uh you know kind of um you know kind of old school uh, electric jazz guitar uh which yeah. i really liked and then the acoustic came in and they sort of had yeah. a little bit of interplay yeah that was pretty cool yeah they had those like miniature guitars for the shy guys so that's pretty impressive <laughs> uh, um yeah so as you can, that's a pretty still bare minimum use of the of the theme of Super Mario Land Two. Um, I did like the how that was that track was a bit more embellished over you know over the simple original track, so like it had a it had a more relaxed feel. Like the tension we were talking about before was sort of not as apparent in the in the cover there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. Nick, I was wondering if you could tell me kind of your history with the game. Um, I didn't really. I, I think I played it a couple times at friends' houses, but like not very, not very much back, back when it was probably old. By the time it was probably at least six years old, by the time I actually touched it, mm-hmm. um, I, I I did buy it on the 3DS eShop and played a, a bit of it, but I kind of fell off playing it. I just. I think I got a bit bored with it after a while. Um, I probably should just like stuck with it and finished it because it's a short game. But um, yeah, it didn't it didn't really capture me too heavily. I mean, people really like this game, um, but you know they they grow up with it, so I don't have as much of an affection for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of how they kind of wanted a, a like a Zelda Link to the Past on the Game Boy. And they made, uh, you know, what's the what's the Game Boy one? Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. Yeah, that's like my favorite Zelda game. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just completely forgot. You're still but, soaked. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, it's kind of like they wanted Super Mario World on uh, like the Game Boy. You know, they have like the bigger sprites and it's not. Yeah, like, the game looks a lot better than the first one. I mean, subjectively. Hugely. I, well, it looks a lot more modern because I mean the yeah, first yeah. the first Mario Land doesn't really look like any other Mario game. It felt like they they didn't really know what the Game Boy hardware could do when yeah. they were making mm. that game because it was a launch title, mm. and so they tried to make it sort of look like the original Super Mario Brothers, but everything was kind of squished and tiny, and yep. so it right. they were able to kind of have the same scale of levels like basically the amount of level that you see on the screen in Super Mario Land 
is sort of equivalent to what you could see in Super Mario Brothers. But because the screen is so tiny, that means everything's been shrunk down to be right. really, really small. And in Super Mario Land 2, I think they were like, screw that. We'll, we want to make these characters big. We want them to look nice. We want the animations to be good. We want there to be, you know, kind of more bigger, varied artwork in this. And we don't care that that means that your your field of vision is going to be greatly diminished. So the jumping is a lot more kind of hope, you know, hope and a prayer every time you jump off a platform because you can't really mm-hmm. see very far in front of you or up or up or, or uh, below you either. So, um, you know, I think for some kind of Mario purists, Mario Land 2 feels like less of a really like hardcore platforming action game and maybe more of just a, an adventure game. Like it's more about exploring and it's yeah, less about yeah. making tricky jumps or, you know, defeating um, defeating enemies or anything like that. It's it's a lot easier um, and uh, it's more of kind of like this freeform, nonlinear, you know, go around and check out these really big levels and just kind of play around with them. I mean, it's really cool how they've got the world map in there too from mm-hmm. like, yeah. take, they took that from world and stuff, so... Yeah, it's so weird. This game, you know, there's no princess. It's instead of a princess in Bowser, you have Wario. And it's just, it makes the world so weird because Mario has a castle. Yeah. Like, like what? <laughs> and then, like, you know, there's no girls there, apparently. And Wario apparently is jealous of him and took his castle. And there's six golden coins that are the keys that you have to go get. So you can get your castle back, which I think I can relate. I think everyone can relate to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that how the world map kind of brings it all together, and also has that feeling of like Super Mario World, um, you know, in the in, a, in that sense. But mm-hmm. um, the next song we're gonna listen to is from the game. Uh, it's called Athletic, and I, th- uh, I picked it because I think it would be a good way to show how the melody is used in a different way. Uh, but this is one of the uh, more. This is probably the most popular song from the game, like in the, in like the standard level game. So let's go ahead and listen to it right now, and then we can talk about it after. Thank you. 
All right, that song was called Athletic. Um, it's it's a very fun song. I like it. It's it's kind of like a it's like a Japanese interpretation of of kind of it has like a bluegrass jive to it because it has like the banjo like but it doesn't have that straight beat. It has doom 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 doom, which isn't bluegrass at all. But yeah, it's got it's got kind of like a you know it has this bass line that is not very deep. So it like at first I wasn't even sure if that was the bass line um, because it's just it's not very uh, low pitch like you might expect for bass. But I, I think it at least, you know, given the Game Boy sound hardware and such as it is, <laughs> I think it serves as the bass line. But I, to me, it sounded kind of like the syncopated rhythm of um, and I was just at a concert uh, last night, actually, where I heard some similar kind of um, tricks used. But it, it sounds kind of like a um, like a a slap bass almost with a um with like a clavinet playing really fast in between the bass yeah, notes. Yep. So you get this very busy kind of, you know, like j- almost like jittery kind of uh rhythm and underneath the melody. Um and it it's athletic is a good uh a good mm-hmm. name for it because it is it's very busy, it's very um it's very full of action. Yeah, I mean and the it's really cool cuz throughout the A and B section it it actually um, it goes from one key to another and you don't even realize it until it starts back over and it just like the end of the chorus is yeah. and then it goes right back into this to the original <laughs> key and it's like it's just really cool I mean mm. I love I love I love key changes because either if you stealth yeah, modulation yeah it stealth modulates and then it abruptly modulates you know it sneaks in and then it slaps everyone in the face so um, mm-hmm. but yeah yeah I really like the um the second part of that song I think it changed the melody just sort of goes into a that extended bit um I thought that was really cool after the you know the do 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 the next part after that was oh yeah cool. it's it's I mean yeah. it's so cool and it's really jazzy but um but the thing it sinks is that the band didn't play that last night uh and I didn't. Well, no, no way. You even gave him a penny. You even flicked the penny second. onto the stage, and they didn't want. No, no, to. they played it. I just, <laughs> I, you know, my darn iPhone. I, I forgot to hit the record button. So, they played my request, but I didn't even. I don't even have it for us. But I do have a song they did record. Um, it's called Pumpkin Zone, uh, and we're gonna listen to the original first, and then I'm gonna smoothly transition into the one that I recorded last night, and then afterwards we will discuss.
All right, that last song was called Pumpkin Zone. Um, so as I was listening to the original, um, you know, it kind of has that spooky Halloween uh, theme, which now I think well, about what, it. Oh, go ahead. What makes it spooky to you, Perry, well, musically? It, well, it, it, it kind of has those octaves. Well, first of all, it's really bare. I mean, yeah, it, there's it, no drums. It, there's yeah. no rhythm to it. And it, it doesn't even follow like a consistent rhythmic pattern like it sometimes it just the song just kind of drops out for a couple seconds and you're like wait is it over oh no and it kind of comes back in at a weird moment you which, know and it like it keeps you very off balance exactly which is yeah. exactly what I, this is what makes it so memorable to me is because it's doesn't very it doesn't happen that much in video games you know where it's mm-hmm. not a constant melody getting thrown at you you know and then getting repeated this has that nice breaks which me and nick talked about on um, the last themesters about how breaks in music are, are really nice. Yeah, Metroid music is kind of famous for that. Yes. Also. Yep. Hmm. That that track on the last one, Perry, that was also a, a spooky track, which was the graveyard theme, I think, for Mother. Um, that's where we spoke about that space between notes and everything mm. last time. Yeah. Um. Uh, but from the the cover that we saw last night, you know, uh. They kind of took it and they kind of showed the other sense that they have in jazz with uh, kind of like the laid back uh, James Bond ish, mm. but not as British, you know. <laughs> they, they, they had the like the um, the sort of what's it called? Is it a tremolo guitar effect? Yeah. Um, yep. Re- there's a certain kind a of lot sustain of reverb on it. And, and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's something about the the cover that. Um, this makes you think that it's like some guy should talk over the top of it and like you know chime in every now and again with like a deep voice or something it has that sort of feel to it well i know it reminds me like of something isaac like, hayes it reminds me of something i can't put my finger on it at the moment though um, i was just thinking listening to it again to the to the recording um that the the jazz version of it is like it's it's so kind of inviting and sexy and mm. it it doesn't it kind of takes away all of the creepiness of the original, even though you can hear the melody in there. Right, uh, the guitar even like brings back the melody at the end. Um, yeah, when you well, I like the part at the end where the uh, guitar and the bass start synchronizing. I thought that was really nice. Yeah, um, cool. Well, uh, Johnny, why don't you talk about? your history with this game okay well um i think i played it um uh earlier than nick did so i would have played this pretty close to when it first came out but i never had an original game boy i didn't have a game boy until the color which was 1998 which is actually you know a long time after the the black and white game boy first came out mm-hmm. so um and part of the reason that I never felt like I needed to have a Game Boy is that I always knew people who had one. So I got to play a fair bit of Game Boy uh, at various friends' houses, or we would go on a field trip on the school bus, and people would bring their Game Boys, and they would let me borrow it because they knew I was totally crazy about video games, and um, so they would often, you know, let me borrow it and play through stuff. And Super Mario Land Two is a game that you can play very large chunks of in one sitting you know even the first time you play it you might very Mm -hmm. well beat it or or play through a a most of it because it's it's short and it's easy 
uh, and it's fun and you want to keep, you know, there's a lot of variety in it. So as you play it, like you kind of want to keep seeing what the next thing is. Um, so I definitely would have played through most of, if not all of the game, uh, pretty close to when it first came out. But, you know, partly because I played through it so quickly um, and we were probably doing other things, you know, like I might have been at my friend Gabe's house playing it while we were also watching TV or um, playing Magic the Gathering or something like that. So, you know, I probably would have been distracted. But, um, you know, it didn't necessarily make a huge impression on me, except that I thought it was obviously a lot different um, than the first Super Mario Land and a lot more a lot more ambitious in some ways, like more, you know, kind of more modern. It, it felt more like a Super Nintendo game in black and white. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was very impressed by it. And, uh, and then I guess I didn't think too much uh, on it uh, for a long time until uh, it came out on the 3DS Virtual Console. I don't know if you guys remember this, but a long time ago, Nintendo released uh, handheld games on the 3DS. And you could, really? uh, you could download these classics. Yeah, and they were only like, you know, two or three or four dollars uh, in most cases. Wow. And uh, it, it was cool because I got to catch up with a lot of original black and white Game Boy games that I had never played. I, you know, I was, because I never owned my own, I could only play uh, the games that my friends had. And they had a good selection, but there were certain ones that, that they never had. You mean that like, I got to ke- like Radar Mission? I was thinking more like Mole Mania. Oh. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, since I had good memories, although kind of vague memories of Super Mario Land 2, I I downloaded it and uh, I played through it again. I talked about it on uh, Radio Free Nintendo a few years ago. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I really enjoyed it. But also it reminded me just how short and easy it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, so... Let's get on going, uh, listening to more music. Uh, this next song is one that we heard last night. It's called Seashore, and it kind of has like an island vibe to it, um, which, you know, seashore, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go ahead and give that a listen to, and we'll talk about it right after.
All right, guys. Now that you are mostly sober, uh, what do you think of that song? Uh, I like it. Yeah. yeah, I like it too. It has like a really complicated uh, melody. Like there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of um, like there's a lot of sort of dueling guitars um, in the jazz version. And uh, the, in the, the original, it has, I think part of what makes it sound so aquatic is that you have this sort of like a marimba almost kind of sounding, you know, like island keyboard sort of uh, sound to it. But then um, the rhythm sounds kind of like a steel drum. It has that that kind of shallow, um, shimmering kind of quality mm-hmm. to it. Um, so it's like a, it, it 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 evokes the the sense of like a, something hitting the surface of water and causing ripples to come out. So you don't hear the drum all at once, but it kind of takes a second for it to decay. Um, hmm. So wow. yeah, I, I liked it. So now we're gonna talk about the composer. Um, of this game, the guy who wrote all the music for Super Mario Land 2. Yep. <laughs> you may have heard of him. His name is uh, Kazumi Tataka. Um, he, Johnny, do you know anything about Tataka? I've heard of Totaka's song, um, but I couldn't even tell you what it sounds like. Yeah. It's, it mostly <laughs> occurs in Game Boy games that I never owned. So that's part of my excuse. Yeah, it's in- also it's in like Animal Crossing games that I never even played. Sure, <laughs> it's a uh, Tataka song is in in this game in Super Mario Land Two. Apparently, you can like it's like you wait at a menu for some minutes and it comes up, which is I think I love stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. you know secret stuff that he puts in. But yeah, he's uh he's composed for Yoshi's Story, uh, for the Virtual Boy Wario Land. Which that's a great game. I've never. I want to play that game so bad, but yeah, it's very underplayed since you can only get it on Virtual Boy. <laughs> Not many people have ever played it, but right, it's really good. Right. Mm. And then uh, he's also done uh, Wii Sports. He did. He did all the music for Wii Sports. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, which cool. is that's a. I mean, I remember listening to that on a Radio Trivia. I think uh, they had it on there, and I didn't recognize. I mean, there's so many amazing songs hidden in that that you don't even think about while you're playing because probably because you know you have all your friends and family playing the but but yeah um he's also worked with other people on animal crossing like you said luigi's mansion uh and also did uh stuff on on woolly world on the new game that came out so oh cool well that that game has an excellent soundtrack yeah and he is the voice of yoshi <laughs> that's <laughs> That's it, exactly. So, um, it's pretty cool. Uh, so about Super Mario Land Two, let's talk about that a little more. Um, just the weirdness of the game. I know that RFN has talked about that too. Uh, just how just bizarre. I think uh, Lindemann was was saying how he was creeped out while he was playing, um, <laughs> like one of the worlds. And it's the bunny ears. They really they mess with him. They. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too many weird associations. Yeah, he I mean, just... it's, it's both the Mario Land games. They're both very um, weird and like don't really look a whole lot like the other Mario games. Really. Right. Even yeah. though Mario Land 2 skews closer to what World looked like, it's still very off. It's like mm-hmm. that, that um, R&D, one of the R&D teams 
right? The, the Yokoi, Gunpei Yokoi's team were the ones responsible for those games, so they went their own direction, I guess, in, in, in a way. Yeah, well, Miyamoto wasn't involved with these games, so mm. they have sort of a different sensibility. Um, they're using Mario characters, but it feels like they've been sort of whisked away to a strange, different world where the rules are different, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, one thing I really like about Super Mario Land 2 is that it has all these different locales that you don't normally see in Mario. You know, you have the space zone, and you have the... Mm. You have the Mario zone where you're like exploring in inside and around a giant Mario mech. And that's just not something you could really see happening in Super Mario 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 or whatever. Mm, you know, it yeah. just uh, it, that seems a little bit too strange or too self-aware for a Miyamoto game. Um, but I like that they went there for this one. In which you know, it's so cool. That- I have to say that I sort of miss um, like different teams sort of imbuing their own personality on Nintendo's franchises because nowadays they're sort of all made by the same sort of team, same sort of people, and they adhere more strictly to an art style or right. sort of visual visual language. Um, well, and I'll- it would be cool to see them to see someone like mix it up a bit again. Well, kind of what they did is they kind of instead of using Mario, they kind of just broke off into their own games, you know, like Wario has his own line of games now, which, mm. you know, mm. when I think of like the coolest, like sprite based, like artwork and like, like design, I think of Wario Land 4, um, which is, you know, which is actually a sequel technically to this game, <laughs> if you think about it. So, yeah, I mean, but, and then, you know, you got Yoshi who has his own line and, uh, and so, you know, you, you think of, of all the, Mario platformers that have all those, you know, the first five games are all completely different. And um, now they're, of course, now they're all the same. But I mean, now, like you think of the difference between Super Mario World and Super Mario in uh, Yoshi's Island. I mean, the difference, you know, is incredible. But that, like, again, that that broke off and became its own, you know, mm. franchise. So. I think you could probably make an argument that having someone like um, Gunpei Yokoi uh, in in charge of of some of the Mario spinoff games, um, you know the the original EAD EAD Studios system was set up so that the teams would compete against each other and they would innovate through that competition. Um, yeah. And so I think you could probably argue that the the first several Super Mario Brothers games on both on console and on Game Boy, um, they had to be innovative and they had to try new ideas because you know you had these multiple teams and there was probably some sense that you know if one if the other guys um, made a better Mario game than you did, um, then maybe they would sort of take over the series. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and so and plus you had. You know, you had a lot of Mario games being made in a short amount of time, and so there was also a sense that we really need to differentiate them. Um, and and people, you know, we we don't know necessarily what works and what doesn't work, and so there's more of a of a, a willingness to try things. And I think that, you know, and and maybe it had to do with when Yokoi um, left the company after the Virtual Boy. Um, it, it seems like that was you know around 1995, 96 was around the time that. Um, for one thing, 2D Mario games stopped getting made at that point mm-hmm. um, with the N64. 
Um, but also, you know, Nintendo seemed to start becoming much more self-reflective and they started to look back to their previous games for inspiration rather than, um, you know, completely trying brand new things that we'd never seen before, especially in these 2D games. Well, let's just listen to another song from the game. Um, it is called, I think it's called Graveyard. Or am I getting that mixed up with the last one? No, it's called Graveyard. There, so, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have two graveyards on two episodes. So um, <laughs> let's go ahead and give it a listen and then uh, talk about it after. So that song is so cool. <laughs> I think it really shows the brilliance of Tataka. I mean, just, you know, we're talking about gaps in songs and how you just, it's kind of like more sound effects. and um, But it, it, you know, it takes that theme. Dun, 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 yep. dun, 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 dun. It chops up, you know, and then has all these kind of creepy things in between. Comes well, back it has in. all that reverb on the main melody, even so, it sounds like it's coming from across a large room. Yeah, you know, it's so and the cool. whole the whole song has this sense of like things. It's almost like surround sound without surround sound, because you there's all the little effects and everything. It sounds like things are like skittering around you, or there's a door that's squeaking because something's going through it. You know, and the, exactly, the, there's yeah. just a, a vibe of the song of like either you're sneaking around trying to hide from something or things are sneaking around you trying to hide from you or trying to surprise you i have to say the um the the instrument for the main melody it still sounds a little too happy maybe to me maybe (laughs) you know it's probably a little too comical that's probably what they're like going for generally but um right it might have been better to maybe make the instrument on that main melody just slightly down just down an octave or something i don't know just Hmm knock it down a little bit to make it a little less cheerful or something. Well, I mean, they didn't want the, you know, they didn't want the girls to cry, you know, when they, when they played the game, they didn't well, want to scare a, them anymore. It, yeah. It's not survival horror. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's still, it's a Mario game. So like all the ghosts have smiley faces and things like mm. that, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not really scary. It's meant to kind of, you know, suggest uh, a spooky vibe rather than actually be scary. Right. This song is is why I mean is why I remember this game so well. Um, Cause I I grew up 
I, I grew up, I wasn't really into video games. I have three older brothers, and they, you know, had, like, they weren't really into them, but they had a Game Boy, and I remember I had this game. And, and so I have crazy nostalgia for this game, um, and, and it's totally from the music for the most part because I, when I downloaded it from the eShop, I hadn't played it for, I don't know, like 15 years. And so I... I played it and I just like instantly like shocked by by how much like I I remember that game and everything so um that I, I that's why I wanted I wanted to listen to the song because um I just think it's a really cool song and I, it's very different from most soundtracks you know it is yeah it's um th- there are are parts of it that definitely remind me of um the later Wario Land games which you know obviously spun off from this since this game introduced the character of wario heck yeah Um, but uh there there were wario has um especially like in wario land 2 and 3 there are a lot of um sort of graveyard or zombie themed levels because that's one of the transformations that wario can take that Mm. um is used a lot um to sort of gate your progress or to you know give you access to certain areas that otherwise there's no way you could ever get to it um, so those games have quite a quite a fair bit of um, of content that's sort of associated with this sort of theme. So I want to read something from the booklet that was inside of the game. Uh, it's really funny because it's so it just fits with how bizarre the game is. But apparently this is in Mario's like journal or whatever. But he says, uh, while I was away crusading against the mystery alien Tatanga in Sarasa Land in Sarasa Land, which is where we were, but she was long gone. Uh, or he. Is it, is it a he or a she? Is Tatanga? It sounds like a girl. You're just thinking of that because of Boy Meets World. <laughs> right. Topanga. Okay. And so he says, uh, while I was uh, in Sarasaland, an evil creep, an evil creep, that's what it says, took, <laughs> took over my castle and put the people of Mario Land under his control with a magic spell. So Mario had, you know, he was like the king of a land, apparently. And uh, the intruder goes by the name of Wario. He has been jealous of my popularity ever since we were boys and has tried to steal my castle many times. It seems he has succeeded this time. Wario has scattered six golden coins from my castle all over Mario land. These coins are guarded by those under Wario's spell. Without these coins, we can't get back into the castle. To deal with Wario, so we must get them, attack Wario in the castle, and save everybody. It's time to set out on our mission. That is from the game. That's canon. (laughs) (laughs) So, that means that uh, Mario and Wario grew up together. Is this like the furthest along in the timeline? Is this after all the Mario games and he's sort of retired to Mario Land in his castle? And ah, I like (laughs) maybe this is a future, the future timeline of Mario, Mario canon. You know, I was just thinking, I guess they were both babies in Yoshi's Island DS. Mm. Right. <laughs> I so love talking about It holds about up. This. It's rock solid continuity. Yeah, me and my friend had a theory that maybe Wario is the actual Mario. And Mario is a version of himself that only when he is on drugs that he tries <laughs> to escape from the real world. 
you know he but you know warrior's at home eating garlic on the couch and he's a slob you know because like you see those games and they're just so gritty and like gross and that's kind of how real life is yeah like what if mario hadn't gone to trade school to learn to become a plumber (laughs) yeah exactly well this would have turned into wario he's always looking to make a quick buck rather than earn it the hard way yeah so we'll never know unless they make super mario land 3 which they already have (laughs) called wario land because they Mm -hmm. wanted to do that but um yeah so now i'm gonna get to the exciting part where of it was definitely the highlight of last night where we were patiently waiting with our instruments in front of them you know like we were front seat and we asked if we could come join them on one of their songs uh now we let Johnny pick the song, and of course, what's Johnny gonna pick? But the Space Zone song, you know, right? Yeah, so, I gotta, I gotta represent. Yeah, exactly. So we learned that before, and they actually called us on the stage, and we gotta play with them. So this next song is a recording uh, of Johnny playing harmonica, and we got Nick playing guitar. And they, I didn't really do anything, but I, I recorded it. So uh, we're going to listen to that right now. And then we'll You were wrap. the hype man. I was the hype man. Yeah. The wee man. Which, yeah, I took over Johnny's position, which I think everyone can agree that I was pretty good at hyping. I mean, you know, people were excited about this. So um, <laughs> we're going to listen to it right now. And we'll wrap things up after we're done.
Okay, so that was us playing uh, Space Zone from Super Mario Land 2. Um, so yeah, after the show last night, we uh, we all drank some coffee, sobered up, and walked back home. And we had uh, to we had to run from the you know the screaming fangirls, uh, <laughs> like Hard Day's Night style. So. Well, well, it was uh, it was <laughs> Themesters Mania. Themesters Mania. Yeah, well, I kept telling them to be smart and bring a wig and makeup. <laughs> so that we could avoid this, but Nick didn't, and he kind of likes the attention, so mm-hmm. and we gave it to him. You know, we actually were chasing you too, Nick. You know, in fact, it was just us. <laughs> okay, so I need to. This is okay. Yeah, I probably should have talked about this earlier, but the reason I wanted Johnny to come on is because, like, if you listen to past uh, RFN episodes, a lot of times he talks about how. The, the the melody the Super Mario Bros. Uh, kind of introduced jazz to a lot of people. Oh yeah, you know. Um, I think uh, it's the Mister Rogers neighborhood of video games, except it's uh, probably much more widely heard than any of the music in Mister Rogers Neighborhood. So yeah, I think um, Koji Kondo deserves like all of the jazz awards for for education and outreach. Um, I think the music that he wrote for, especially for the original Super Mario Brothers, although, you know, to some extent in most of the following games as well, but in that first game, the uh, almost all the music is this amazing, you know, synthesized chiptune jazz. And most of us played it before we would have possibly recognized that. I didn't know what the hell jazz was until much, much later. And then when I heard it, I thought, wait a minute, there are parts of this that are very familiar. And, um, and I went back and I played Super Mario Brothers again and I listened to that music and I understood. And also when I started hearing jazz arrangements, kind of like the ones we heard uh, today for Super Mario Land 2, I realized that it just kind of made perfect sense because those songs really already were jazz. And, you know, if you play it with uh, more traditional instruments instead of the synthesizer synthesizers on the NES sound chip, um, then it just sort of exposes it and makes it a lot more obvious, but it's, it's always there, uh, underneath. So, um, yeah, that's all. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, it's something that I'd never thought of before you, I heard you talk about, which, I mean, that's the thing is we're talking about, um, on the seashore song, it kind of has a really complicated melody, which the original super Mario bros theme is a pretty complicated melody. I mean, mm-hmm. it has like, it's like syncopated and triplets and, but it's so well written that you can still whistle it. So, um, mm. yeah, I think, you know, Mario music is so good and it's, it separates it from a lot of different franchises. So, and even though, uh, Tataka did the music for the Super Mario Land games, you know, and I think Koji Kondo did probably the rest of them, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he was solo up until, um, Mario 64, I think Sunshine, he might have finally had extra hand helping him or something. I seem to remember that's how it went. Hmm. With the uh, Sunshine with the uh, the, the acapella. That stuff is great. Heck yeah. That's, you know, that's, once, you the, know. once the games started becoming more complicated, they couldn't really get away with only like, you know, a short amount of tracks and he can only make so much music himself. So Right. Well... Thanks, guys. Um, once again, 
thank you for playing on the song. That was really cool that you could do that. Um, Johnny and Nick, I I know that you guys hadn't played for a long time. Um, yeah, so. I, I really had to dust off the cobwebs for my harmonicas. Yeah, I, I got a harmonica like a year ago, a couple years ago. And I it's such a cool instrument because it's like a real instrument. Like it's not just like a – it's not like a – like a kazoo, right? Like it's a, it's a real instrument that has it's like a mouth organ, right? And so I thought mm-hmm. that was so cool because you can just put it in your pocket. Like it's like a real instrument, that's so small. Yeah, it's super portable, mm-hmm. but you can you can actually play chromatically even on a diatonic harmonica. So you can play, um, yeah, yeah, you know, very complicated melodies, um, and also the nature of how you play it means that you can sort of embellish any note. Um, and uh and and at and like sort of you know bend in and out of it and and do vibrato and stuff like that so um it's to do that stuff is probably more difficult than on a lot of other instruments so it's it's very challenging to learn it and to master it but it's fairly easy to pick it up and play simple things on it um Mm. so it's a great actually in japan harmonicas are much more popular than they are in the west Um, right they're not necessarily a huge part of popular music in Japan. Um, you'll hear them occasionally, but uh, but they're so. Whereas in America, I don't know about Australia, Nick, but in America, it's it's very common for people to, uh, for kids in elementary school to learn um, to learn basic music theory uh, on yeah. a recorder, just a little plastic. Yeah. It's kind of like a flute, but it's simpler than yeah. that. Um, but in Japan, um, they typically use harmonicas. Um, oh, I didn't so know that. Most Japanese people have played harmonica in their life and may even still own one. Uh, and so it has kind of a, a cultural oh, that's cool. um, familiarity yeah. uh, that uh, where in, in America, I think it's more seen as like a kind of a niche folk instrument. Certain genres you would expect it and, and most you would not. But uh, in Japan, it's sort of uh, it's more of a cherished part of people's childhood, if nothing else. I've actually had a harmonica since I was a little kid that I still have, but I never really learned how to play it properly or mm. anything. It's worth learning. You can, like I said, you can kind of get up and running on basic stuff pretty quickly, um, and then uh, you could spend the rest of your life learning to play more complicated things on it. Mm. What I do when I got it, it was like around Christmas time, and this might sound really funny, but I would play it while I drive because you can yes. play it while you're driving. Yes, you can. You can play it one hand. You can actually play it no-handed if you have a if you have a, have like a neck rack, right? Or if you learn to mm. hold it inside of your mouth while you play it with your tongue, which um, I find very uncomfortable. So sure. I don't like to do it that way, but <laughs> right. some people do. Yeah, the only thing I had problems with is that it wasn't. It's a it's a cheap harmonica, and my mustache would get caught in there, and I would pull it. And yeah, I don't know if you've ever experienced mu- mustache hair is like as thick as a pencil and it's like rooted like like deep into your like soul and so when it pulls it hurts so much and so i kind of i kind of started to hate my harmonica because it was physically hurting me but you know now i I can i just shave so i can uh you know i'll I'll try it again it's worth investing a little little shave little gap for it to fix your harmonica (laughs) yeah 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 well, it's it's probably worth investing in a slightly better one if you're having that problem. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, so anyone has any suggestions they'd like us to try and tackle on a future episode of this um, segment, uh, let us know either by emailing uh, connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com or even just dropping it in the talkback to this episode. And uh, we'll see where we go on the next one, which will probably be another couple of months or so away. Right. (laughs) We get to it. And before Um, we go, um, Johnny, why don't you plug something? Anything. Oh, gosh. Well, um, you know, I'm working on a book about Nintendo World Report, but it's going to be a long time before that comes out. So I will plug uh, uh, the movie podcast that I do. Um, well, I, no, I should plug my music podcast since we're, we're doing Themesters. Um, it's very irregular. It comes out uh, every month or two, depending on how busy I am. <laughs> and I'm very busy right now, so it has been a little while. But uh, it's called Discover Music Project, and it's on iTunes. And you can also find it on uh, crosstalk.com. That's uh, with a W, crosstawk.com. And uh, it's a show about introducing people to music. So, you know, I, I think um, a lot of people have trouble discovering new music. They don't know where to start. They, they aren't sure what they like or don't like. Um, and I think most people learn about new music from recommendations from people they trust. And so... Mm-hmm. My goal was to sort of make uh, make the show about one friend recommending music to another friend. Um, and sometimes I'm the one recommending, sometimes I'm on the other end of it. Um, it's a show um, where I, I discover along with the audience most of the time. And uh, you don't really have to know anything about any of the, the musical artists uh, featured to get into it. We sort of assume that you know little or nothing about any of the music that we play. And we sort of uh, guide you into it, and we play full songs, and each show is about 90 minutes long to two hours, and so you have enough time to explore and listen to different sides of of someone's uh, uh, career, and uh, and sort of see the full breadth of, of what they're capable of. So um, it's a really good guide, I think, through uh, musical history and. We cover just about every kind of music you can think of, or, or I would like to eventually. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope people can go through it and just uh, look at, there's about 60 something, maybe 70 episodes. I think we're almost at 70 now, because um, wow. Jimi Hendrix was 69. Ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, thumb through there and maybe listen to some um, of some artists that you like or that you want to know more about. And then subscribe and uh, and just start listening to uh, to all of them because the goal is that you don't really have to know anything about it in order to hopefully enjoy the show and learn something and maybe discover your favorite new music. Ah, and there is the title, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, discover very- Music Project. So you say people introduce music to you. Uh, has there ever been an episode where like people were trying to convince you to like someone and you didn't like it at all and you were like, yeah, this is good. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't lie. I was, I don't <laughs> think I was that disingenuous, but uh, I would say that we we did an early episode about death metal, and uh, I learned a lot about death metal. <laughs> You're good. So I'm glad we, I'm glad we did that episode, but I, yeah. it did not turn me into a fan of death metal. I wouldn't say. Yep, I'm right there with you. I, yep. <laughs> all right well that'll wrap us up for today be sure to comment on the talkback thread about a game we should do for the next themesters 
or send us an email, and uh, we will see you on an upcoming episode of Connectivity.